it's one of those things that I, I believe we're primarily only limited by ourselves in life. Um, if a goal is really important to you, there's always a way that you can achieve it. As long as you're willing to put the time in to get there, um, as long as you have determination and conviction that you can achieve it, and that I think at the end of the day, achieving it is more important than the possibility you might fail trying. There is a depth and a breadth to our lives that largely goes unexplored. As an equestrian life mindset coach and host of this podcast, I am here to lead you on that exploration. Deep conversations covering topics in and out of the show ring with industry leaders and unsung heroes alike sharing their stories and what makes their journey unique but relatable at the same time. We all have stories to share and lessons to trade, something we've learned from a horse or from each other. So relax and be ready to listen with more than just your ears. I'm Tracy Mitchell. Welcome to Hitting Your Stride. Welcome back to Hitting Your Stride. I'm your host, Tracy Mitchell, and I'm thrilled you've joined us for another exciting episode of this podcast. Joining me today is Meg Kruger, the CEO of Equestrian Canada and one of the more prominent figures in equestrian circles right now. She's coming off of a successful run as Equestrian Canada's president, as well as being owner and creator of Pepper Fox, an equine marketing and growth strategy company. Her resume is long, but her list of volunteer accomplishments is just as distinguished, as shown by stints with the Young Professionals of Wellington, the Ontario Hunter Jumper Association, the Halton Hills Chamber of Commerce, and the Canadian Jumper Development Series. After earning her honors BA in European Business Studies at the University of Guelph, Meg then headed to France, where she earned a business diploma from the Université de Montpellier to cap off her post-secondary education and also feed her hunger for travel. So welcome, Meg. Why don't we hear a little from you about yourself? Maybe starting off with who you are when you're not in the CEO's role. I hear you have a new addition to your furry family. Thank you, Tracy. Um, I'm very appreciative of being invited today. I do have a new addition. I just uh, adopted the second rescue dog about a week ago. Um, she's about six months old and came in from Texas. Um, so who am I? I'm a, a big lover of animals, as you uh, might uh, be able to tell. I have uh, two dogs. So my other dog uh, is named Lucky. She's also a rescue. I also have uh, two retired horses. They're both 19. One was a jumper and uh, the other actually was a ranch horse that I rescued when I lived in Colorado. All of my life, I have been someone who um, is taking in and helping animals, especially those that have been, um, I guess, turned away from or the world has uh, discarded. Uh, so outside of my, my role as CEO of Equestrian Canada, I do spend a lot of time outdoors. I love hiking. Um, I'm often at the barn. I'm not riding my horses um, because they are retired, but I cherish the time that I spend with them, just brushing them, doing groundwork, and just being around them. Um, I also love being at horse shows. I started working in equestrian sport because of that deep love of animals that I had, uh, and of course, horses in particular. And I know I'm very fortunate to be able to spend my days and evenings um, and weekends with horses in my life, whether it's on the sport admin side or whether it's in the barn. And also even when I travel, because my other out of work love is exploring new cultures and countries through travel. 
Yeah, your uh, your experiences with all the travel is quite interesting. We'll touch on that in a little bit. <laughs> awesome. So your resume highlights a lot of impressive qualities and straight and traits. Sorry, your forward thinking, group oriented, and a sense of curiosity. Out of all the things you think best describe you, is there one you can point to that effectively can sum up who you are? I'm not sure I can sum up myself with one trait. I certainly <laughs> wish it was that simple. Um, but I can say that uh, one of the traits that has made a significant impact on my life is my aptitude to push beyond my comfort level. So challenging my thoughts about myself or what I'm able to do. It's like when you ask yourself, Meg, um, are you sure you can do this? And then you don't even answer, you just do it. It's implied, uh, you're gonna try. So I'm not used to being given opportunities on a platter. I've worked really hard throughout my life uh, for my achievements. I've been driven by wanting to make a difference in the world around me. And I've taken a lot of opportunities on that push me to try new things. And then to realize that I had skills in areas I never knew were possible. So an example, you mentioned it uh, earlier, but it started in university. Um, I was uh, originally there, I was at the University of Guelph studying English and literature because I love creative writing. And after my first semester, I found out that someone unrelated to me, but connected by a past marriage had passed away and had left me some of her inheritance. And it was just enough to cover my entire university tuition, which for me was shocking. Nothing like that had ever happened to me in my life. Um, it didn't seem right to me to keep doing uh, my major in English or maintaining the status quo. For some reason, that surprise gift made me realize that I should use the education to do something that I would have never thought possible. So I did a quick check on my, my subject skill sets. So I was very strong at English, math, and science. Those were my, my focus areas to that point in my life and decided that I was going to change my university studies to business, um, which I'd never done before. And to be honest, that moment changed my life forever. It took me to France. Um, it took me on a, an incredible career path in business and then eventually starting my own business and now here in my role with EC. Wow. I love that. <laughs> Goosebumps and like, yeah, that is just so cool. I mean, how many people make that conscious decision to say, all right, I'm going to do something that is completely out of the realm of anything I ever thought before, because I want to like push my growth. That's amazing. Yeah. And it was, when I think about it, I was 17 years old when that, when I made that decision. Wow. So, Have you yeah. ever, oftentimes I, I play the game of, cause you know, when you've got that, you come to a, a fork in the road in your mm -hmm. life and there's a certain point that becomes very like, okay, if I take this, that would happen. If I take this, that have you ever been in that situation where you could maybe go back to that moment and think if I had to have gone to the left and I had chosen the right fork in the road, where do you think Meg would have ended up? You, it's tempting to think that way. Um, I, I don't often think that way because when I, I've come to those crossroads a lot in my life and uh, I know that if I wait and I reflect and I, I go into my gut, so into my instinct, um, I, will, I will know exactly what I need to do. And I don't usually ever question the decision because it's right. Um, I had an acupuncturist once years ago and she, I was asking her a question about a hard decision I had to make in life. And she said, um, your life is like a river. 
it's always moving forward. It's bending and turning and, you know, it's, it's moving the way the river wants to go. And she said, no matter what way you turn, it'll be the right turn because it's the decision that you make. So I always, I always thought that was an interesting nice. And you know, too, like I'm, I'm reading a book right now that was written like forever ago, but still all of its, you know, thoughts and theories and philosophies are so relevant still today. And one of the chapters is on decision-making and that some of the greatest leaders or people who have had the greatest impact and impact in life are good at making just quick decisions. You know, they don't sit and ponder too long. They just kind of go with the flow, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's awesome. Cool. So you have a a profound sense of adventure, starting by going to France to continue your post-secondary education and further it by trekking across the Siberian mountains in Mongolia. Is that at least in part what fuels you to seek new challenges in your career? Yeah, I, I would say uh, to answer that, I start off with um, years ago, I assessed my own personal values and I have three primary personal values. Um, they're happiness, adventure, and freedom. And those values have consistently guided me throughout my life. And for the most part, they haven't changed. So I believe that kind of like what I was saying a few minutes ago, when you live true to your values, it brings you more fulfillment and happiness. Um, you know that what you're doing is the right thing to do for yourself. Uh, So because those three values are so important to me, they really fuel everything I do and all the decisions that I make. So one of them, and you mentioned adventure, one of my three most important values is adventure. And I honestly don't know where the desire or the the draw towards adventure comes from. I think it might be genetic or at least that it was part of me when I was born. I know riding can be a pretty thrilling sport. And personally, I've always liked the rush of trying something terrifying just to see what it will do to me like what I will learn from it as I go through it. Like I can give you an example. I've in the past had some apprehensions about flying, which many people do. So a few years ago, I decided to go up in a glider plane um, with a pilot who was (laughs) flying the plane. And uh, I both learned and felt what it felt like to ride thermals when there is no engine. And it taught me a lot about turbulence and kind of how a plane moves through the air. And it gave me a lot of um, peace and understanding, I guess, in, in that process. So wow. it's, um, it's one of those things that I, I believe we're primarily only limited by ourselves in life. Um, if a goal is really important to you, there's always a way that you can achieve it. As long as you're willing to put the time in to get there, um, as long as you have determination and conviction that you can achieve it. And that I think at the end of the day, achieving it is more important than the possibility you might fail trying. Um, so again, I, I, one of my favorite quotes is that it's a Wayne Gretzky quote, actually, but it's the, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. And it's one that, um, was often shared to me, uh, not by Wayne Gretzky, of course, but by a former employer and one of my mentors, Mark Bellissimo, who I worked for in Florida and uh, who was a real visionary in sport. And the question wow. Was wow. I love the fact you touched on values. So um, many of the listeners know that, you know, yes, I've, I'm a registered equine massage therapist. I've been doing that for like 23 years, but I'm also, um, the, this podcast originated out of me getting certified for life coaching. So one of the, um, activities that I work on with my clients is bringing their focus to understanding what their values are. And so we go through this values mm-hmm. work sheet and you know discussing different values and I think the way that you expressed that was absolutely like bang on you know if, if, as long as you're you figure out what your values are that becomes 
sort of your, your focus and then letting those help guide you where you go from there on and, and what's enjoyable and, and what you want to experience in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The, the value exercise was, I, I started working on it years ago, but it was so critical because sometimes I think you can um, keep values outside of you as a person or outside of you and your job. And it's just a word. And, but when you look at yourself and say, you give a description to who you are inside and the things that are, if I can't have those three things, you know, is my life giving me fulfillment? Am I, you know, can I, do I want to keep going? And if if the answer is no, then you know that those are, they're deal breakers. Those, those values are the, the most important things for you to live by, to be true to yourself. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, I hope this uh, conversations encourages people to, to reflect on that because it's uh, in such a crazy busy life, you know, we're always running around. I, I think a lot of the times the, the values that we hold dear can kind of be, you know, sift to the bottom of what we do. So, yeah, so this is, this is awesome. Can you touch a little bit on your trekking in the Siberian mountains? That sounds amazing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It, it's a long story that I can make, make a short story. Um, it started with uh, somebody giving me a book um, and it was called Horse Boy. And I read the book and it was a true story. A documentary was also done about a man originally Zimbabwean um, from Texas who had a, a son um, high on the spectrum of autism. Long story short, he ended up going with his wife and his son to Mongolia on a shamanic trek um, to, um, for his son. And it was an amazing experience. I read the book and I thought, is this, how can this be possible and real in the world? And so my next thought was, I need to do this exact same. I need to experience what they went through. I mean, as much as I could, of course. Um, so I reached out to the, the, uh, uh, like the agency that was in the documentary that took them on this trip. And um, I said, I want to do the same trip as Rue. And uh, he said, no problem. And um, introduced me to Rupert. and concurrently we became friends I had a chance to meet Rupert several times when I lived in the U.S. that was the man who the father and then next thing you know I ended up on a on this trek on a shamanic journey um, going through just experiencing what it's like um, number one in Mongolia we went to in, in the summer which was thankful because it was still very cold but um, it was absolutely incredible and the, the end culmination of um, the trip was we traveled cross country from Ulaanbaatar, the capital, into the Siberian mountains. We were somewhere near the Russian border, but uh, weren't exactly sure where we were. And we stayed for a few days with the Satan uh, people who are um, an indigenous group that uh, ride and herd reindeer and they uh, live off the land. And we stayed with the head shaman of the one of the two tribes and um, had a shamanic uh, ceremony and learned about the people and I rode a reindeer and unsuccessfully. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was, it was an incredible, incredible experience. Wow. Life-changing. I am sure. Wow. Yeah. Who, yeah. who, who did you come out of that experience as? Can you pinpoint something that absolutely changed your outlook on life and who you were when you got home? I think probably the trek itself was very difficult. Uh, just it was um intensive like physically and emotionally to get to to stay with them and the ceremony itself like the whole experience was very intense but I think probably the most impactful thing was 
before we did, we had a translator. There was a group of four of us. And before the, as the shaman was preparing for this, this ritual he was going to do that evening, he was asking the translator to ask us some questions about why we were there. Like he was trying to understand why we had all traveled across the world. There was someone from Sweden. There was, I think, someone from the U.S. and then two of us from Canada to come and meet with him. And so I was trying to think in my head, how do I explain to him what I do? Because at the time I was selling corporate sponsorship for the Winter Equestrian Festival, you know, equestrian sport in Florida. And I, I just wasn't sure if that made, like, how do I explain that in a way that was relevant? And, you know, so I was doing my best and, you know, he was nodding as the translator saying, well, I sell sponsorship, you know, for marketing, it's not for equestrian sport. And his, uh, he said back to the translator, okay, I get it. So you work with horses. And I said, yeah, <laughs> I work with horses. And so for me, it was just uh, really impactful to try to articulate what I do in a world that was very different. Um, so I guess, I guess that was very, very impactful to me where I thought that my world was a huge universe. And I realized I'm just a piece of something much greater. Oh man, that's awesome. I love that. So, I mean, you did touch on this in the previous, in this question that we just had, but where does your thirst of experiences come from? Thirst for them come from, sorry. Yeah, um, kind of like that desire for adventure, um, my need to experience things, it's just part of who I am. It's, it's just inside me. Uh, for me, experiencing something intensely is the reason I'm alive as a person. Um, so when I experience things, like when I travel, when I'm in my day to day, when I'm with my horses, that the how I feel things, it's just very intense. And it really makes me, um, I guess, recognize how different and unique things are, um, recognize the emotional impact of things. Um, and it helps me see and feel what the world is around me. And that gives me a sense of connectedness and understanding. Wow. Now, were your parents, did you, did this, like, can you remember as a little girl feeling like this, or was this something that you witnessed growing up? Uh, not so much. I would say that my family is very, um, like science and math based uh, for the most part. And uh, um, I think not that emotions aren't science-based. It just, I, I, that's why I was studying, you know, math and sciences. I was very good at it. It was very rational and logical. Um, but it was just something that I, I realized I struggled a lot as a teenager. I had a lot of uh, mental health issues, depression and, and so forth. And it wasn't until I went out on my own and I started making these choices to, you know, step into these opportunities and experience things like going to France when you're 18 and living on your own and studying in an environment where you didn't really know the language. And that's when I really started to kind of come into my own. Um, but it took about 10 years to, to really understand my need for experiencing things. Wow. That's, that's great. Now, you said that you came to Equestrian Canada at a time when there was a lot of frustration in the community and that through your passion, you wanted to be a part of building a stronger organization. What was it inside of you that gave you the belief that you could see the necessary changes through? And did it change you in any way by taking this task on? Yes, working for EC has absolutely fundamentally changed me. Um, I'm a very patriotic person and I'm very proud of my country. Um, I really wanted to, and I still want to make a significant difference. Um, I want to be a part of making EC stronger, um, more 
effective um, or efficient and then like almost most importantly more meaningful to people. Um, I want to see EC become an organization that's interesting and relevant to future generations of leaders who are one day going to be in my shoes. Um, but not only from an organization perspective, I want to see the impact that horses have had on me personally throughout my life be more available to others. I want to see that part of what I do uh, and how people experience horses thrive. Um, we all know that horses help us so much and I've seen them give strength and confidence to so many different people um, through my life and they deserve a really important role in our society. So, you know, back to your question that EC, there still is frustration um, from what I've learned in my time with EC, so about four years um, and about EC's history, there's, there's probably about 35 years of change, mergers of organizations, new leadership, new plans, reorganizations. There's a lot of history that comes along with everything we do every day. Um, EC is so big and complex and it interconnects many disciplines, organizations and people and all of those stakeholders have needs for EC. So when I took on the role with EC, I did so how I would describe it wholly and completely. So I put aside any potential risk that might come to me personally if I wasn't successful. And I just stepped wholeheartedly into rolling up my sleeves and getting started. Um, and I know that EC won't change overnight. I might've had you know initial thoughts that I could move Things or I could be a part of moving faster change. Um, but I don't necessarily think that EC will or should change really quickly. Um, but if enough people put their personal agendas aside and roll up their sleeves to be part of making a difference, we will, we will get momentum and in the end we will be successful. Okay. And, and what was it in you that felt like, you know, you had the ability to take this task on? I don't know. I guess it was just that um, that belief that with the experience that I've had in my life, I've, you know, I had 10 years working in Canada as a horse show organizer. I had 10 years working in the U.S., learning, building, like growing huge opportunities within the U.S. And I thought um, if I'm what I'm, what I'm going to apply myself to in my career and my life within the equestrian industry, I want to do it for my country. And I want to see my federation become stronger and, and, and become um, something that people are proud of uh, within Canada and see results that impact more people uh, across the country. And so, you know, as much as I loved living and working in the U.S. and miss my friends and contacts and everything I did there, to me, this is more important. It's more important to be doing this for my country. Uh, well, Many of us are very thankful that you're doing so. That's great. In your opinion, what is the key to successful leadership? You took over an organization that you said at the time was consumed in disagreement, but then described as having covered a lot of ground in the same time since then. My idea of successful leadership has evolved a lot over the years, um, but at this time, I would say that to me being a su successful leader means being vulnerable, humble, and having determined vision. So what I mean by that is you need to acknowledge what doesn't work, um, what hasn't worked, and not take it personally, but also put that aside. So understand, have an understanding of the information that you're getting from people and from past uh, maybe repeated patterns, and then have those BHAGs, those big hairy audacious goals, and 
set those goals for yourself and the organization, and then talk about them a lot and rally people around them. Because I believe that people need to feel connected to something bigger than them. And like I just mentioned, something that they can be proud of. So, you know, for me on a daily basis, I interact with so many people and um, they're all very passionate about the sport and the industry. And they can be staff like that are working within EC and it can be volunteers. So, you know, our board uh, of directors is volunteer. We have many operational committees and working groups. And then there's also organizations like our provincial and territorial or PTSO sport organizations. There's discipline organizations, there's national equine organizations and all of those groups and people, I mean, there's hundreds of people who want to be part of improving the sport and industry, and they're all leading as well. And so I look at them and I see people who are stepping into the fray and doing things to make a difference. And again, you know, when I go back to those big, hairy, audacious goals and, and the need to rally people in a, in a direction of, of making a, a positive change, if all of those people can get moving in a forward positive direction, then again, we'll be able to make a real difference rather than sometimes you see um, time and resources can get wasted um, and slowed down just by disagreement or, or people not being aligned. So Yeah, yeah the, the whole concept of being vulnerable is something that's really been brought up, I don't know what, the last three, five years kind of thing. And let's say thanks to Brene Brown. She's, yeah. <laughs> she's been a big promoter and, and discusser of that. And I, I too follow that. I've always been someone that's kind of worn my heart on my sleeve. I'm, I'm open to sharing. If you don't communicate and share, then no one learns. And, and honestly, I think that's really the premise of this podcast from the very beginning is I wanted to have people on such as yourself, leaders, and then, you know, the unsung heroes that everybody's got something to teach. So I'm, I'm super grateful for having you here today, because your message has been amazing so far. And when you at the beginning of this question, you touched on that your leadership has evolved. So, you know, 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, what was your concept of leadership versus what it is now? I think that probably one of the biggest difference and a lot of it came with maturity and just life experience was um, being someone who's um, competitive, driven and an achiever. Um, you know, my first concepts of leadership was a strong person pushing the ball up the hill and um, a lot of it coming from one individual. But I've learned that over time, it's not one individual. One individual can only do enough of things that fit into one individual's day. Um, but if, if there are many people who are part of a journey who maybe that individual could inspire uh, to go in a direction or to do something together, then all of those people create something much more impactful. So I think that it's really shifted more from a, a me-centric to a us-centric um, thought process. And, and that takes, that's where I think the vulnerability piece and the humbleness piece comes in because sometimes that's hard. It's hard to hear what people have to say when they say things that, you know, might not be positive all the time or maybe contradict what you think um, or something that you've done, but they're saying it for a reason. And so being able to receive that, recognize it's not personal, take the information and then kind of be part of creating a solution. To me, that's what being vulnerable why it's so important in successful leadership. Yeah, that's great. How did your connection to horses start? And at what point did you just know that this was going to be your life's work? Like, did you ride as a child? Did you show? 
Yep. Uh, all of the above. <laughs> I, I actually recently found a picture or was given a picture um, that captures my very first pony ride. I don't know if parents still do that <laughs> these days, but I must have been about two or three years old. And it was, you know, a typical pony ride at the fair somewhere in the very early 80s. But the camera happened to capture my face. And what I look when I see my face, it must be the exact moment that the pony started moving. And, you know, when you rec when you know that the horse is moving underneath you, I've seen that many times in my life as, a, as, as I was teaching riding lessons. It's like a click that happens. Yeah. And I believe that once that click happens, you're hooked. So that moment started it all. <laughs> um, but it wasn't until I was older, I, I started riding. I was probably about eight years old um, that I was just starting to ride more regularly. And I, as a teenager, I rode in a wonderful riding school in Mississauga, Ontario, and I started helping the owner. We were retraining thoroughbreds off the track. I was showing on the Trillium circuit, which was um, really big for us, you know, in that era. Um, I started teaching riding lessons. Like it just kind of started getting creeping, getting bigger and bigger into my life. I was managing the barn while I was doing high school. It was just becoming something really critical. Um, but it was in my early twenties that I came to terms with the fact that my riding skills, as much as I loved riding, they were not going to get me to the Olympics. Um, and I was completely okay with that because I also had realized that my unique ability in the industry was going to be that I wanted to be the person organizing the horse shows. Oh. So fueling the passion and the dreams um, of equestrians by creating the best possible shows that I could. So I started, I think it was 22, about 22, started running horse shows. And when I was doing the shows, I always wanted to keep raising the bar, challenging the norm, trying new things. You know, I was looking outside of our sport, outside of our country, what are other venues doing? Um, what are other sports doing? Anything that could push me or the events again, outside of that comfort zone. Yeah. And that attitude, um, it gave me a lot of success in what I did as an organizer. And then it also opened up a door uh, for me to take a job in Wellington, Florida um, at the Winter Equestrian Festival, which I jumped on uh, 2007. And I worked for that company for 10 years. And I learned a lot about the equestrian industry in the US. And I got exposure to areas and skills that, again, I had no idea I could do, and that I ended up becoming pretty proficient in. So wow, that's great. Um, yeah, so and you've, I love the fact that you recognized where your strengths were. So I mean, do you still hop on a horse when you can? I, I know that you, you have two older horses, but like, do you still have a desire to go hacking or do any riding that way? I do. Um, my, my jumper, he, I had him uh, from when he was three and I, I don't ride him anymore just for health reasons. But when I lived in Colorado, he wasn't with me. And um, I started riding Western, um, which I've always been an English rider, but I thought, okay, I live in Colorado. I'm going <laughs> to learn Western. <laughs> and I rescued this, they call them cow horses there. And she's a ranch horse and worked with a cowboy. And that really like rejigged some love of riding because it was all about your relationship with the horse and making the horse move, work with you efficiently and not burn too much energy, not create too much stress for you, the horse or the cattle. And so I did some work, basic work, sorting cattle. And I really love that. I'd like to do that more. I, I don't really have time right now to, to be in a riding program. So I'm just grooming and yeah. doing groundwork, but wow. um, maybe in the future. That yeah. does sound like fun. 
that that would be something for a bucket list that I would be, yes, having been a dressage rider and, and stuff yeah. in my day, I was very English based myself. And I'm going to say something totally goofy, but I've talked to other people that have said the same thing, that it was that show Yellowstone watching oh. you know, <laughs> yeah. riding in those beautiful mountains. I'm like, hello, I could sign up for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the cowboy that I worked with, um, he was a professional cowboy. Um, and, um, you know, like you would imagine a man of little words or few words. Um, but he taught me so much about not just about cattle, because we would go out and you'd be several hours in the middle of nowhere, riding out to the herd. And um, he would teach me about how you tell if a, a, a calf has pink eye. And, you know, I, I never was able to do any like more advanced stuff. I was always, um, you know, I would, I would be the support person. <laughs> I wasn't actually a cowboy or anything like that, but he, um, it just was really amazing. His number one, his philosophy on life, um, his philosophy around working with the horse was a, a relationship about respect, but there, it wasn't dominance. Um, it was very clear about your role, the horse's role, how you work together, to get a task done, building trust, what happens if you make a, a decision and the horse gets nervous and loses trust in you and how you have to rebuild it. And I, I wasn't, I didn't really expect that that would, for some reason, be what I would learn, hmm. but I loved it. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Totally opened up your eyes to a, a whole different feel and connection with the animal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What piece of advice did you receive and follow or what life lesson did you learn that helped make your life better? I would say that, um, I know I, I mentioned a quote earlier, but one of my, uh, one of my ultimate favorite quotes um, is by Cameron Crowe. And it is, and it's been with me throughout my life. I've always thought about this quote. It's every passing moment is just another chance to turn it all around. And I like that quote. Uh, for me, it speaks to me a lot about uh, giving permission to try things at the risk that maybe you'll fail, but then there will be that other minute that follows. And in that minute, you can try again and you can change the course you're on. You can learn from your mistakes and you can turn things around. So mm. it, it's not as much of a life lesson, but it, it's, um, it's a piece of advice that has always given me the permission to, permission to try. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's key. I mean, so many people have a, have an idea or a passion or an adventure for themselves that they think about, but I'm like, mm, maybe, maybe mm -hmm. I should, maybe I shouldn't. And yeah, if you don't try, then you don't know. Exactly. Yeah. So the, this next question is kind of linked, but what is your philosophy on handling challenges in life, no matter where they arise? So whether it be personal or professional, or based on that, do you have two different philosophies for each of those areas of your life? Um, my philosophies are, are pretty consistent. I, and I've had a lot of practice handling challenges because I experience them a lot, that there's a lot of challenges every day in my job um, and also personally you know, whether it's with working with animals or rescue dogs, or I mean, it's just a, a constant, I think, for most of us. Um, but I would say that regardless of whether it's work or personal, my philosophy about hand, handling challenges is kind of similar to some of what I've been saying earlier, which is being calm, reflecting, kind of trusting your instinct, and then making decisions that live true to your values. And again, like I, it just, to me, it is, you know, the answers inside of yourself and 
challenges are they can be very difficult and I know for example like working at EC the challenges can be constant and sometimes they don't end for long periods of time and it can be easy to get uh, demotivated or kind of down from it but you just need to be calm believe in yourself believe in your team and what you're doing and and that's how you know you're living true to your values and then let yourself recharge and again try again you know like the quote Mm -hmm. just keep trying there's something that keeps coming to my mind as we've been talking and that's the um the, the concept of mindsets and mm-hmm. there's a book out there called mindset it's by uh, dr carol dweck um it's a brilliant book and it talks about growth mindset and versus your fixed mindset and a lot everything you're saying is totally growth mindset it's about testing yourself it's that not worrying about if you fail you just keep trying and trying whereas a fixed mindset is someone who you know is afraid that their attempt won't be perfect. You know, they could be very talented and have the world by the tail, but they won't venture out and step into that level of discomfort because they're they're afraid that if they fail, then the world will, lack of a better term, come to an end. And then what are they going to do, right? So yeah. um, that's something that I, I love talking to people about because I think it, it's such a, a solid basis of, how we can achieve what we want to achieve in life. Um, and I, like you, and, and it seems a lot of the people that I have on here, you know, I'm, I'm a goer. I love to, you know, start new things. And I mean, this podcast, for instance, was a total step outside of my, <laughs> of my comfort zone, but I am completely loving it. And I get the chance to meet people like you and have these uh, amazing conversations. So, yeah. And, and I also feel like, <sighs> When you face these challenges, when you say you, you know, to remain calm, is there anything in you that like this fire that, that sort of like comes up and just like, okay, like, let's do this. Like, is is there a fire? Is there a flame in there? Or is there just always this sort of resonant calm? I think that the, uh, that's a very good question because um, I have, uh, I have very strong entrepreneurial tendencies. I'm also an entrepreneur. So the there is um like inside me there's a fire and but i have learned sometimes that um that the fire like that there also is a, it's appropriate to be calm and to reflect because sometimes the fire can take you down a path that um maybe is more emotional like it's emotionally based and i think that the calm piece for me is because i've lived and worked in a lot of environments where things are really uh scary or challenging or like when I go back to that glider plane I remember a moment where I realized I had a clarity that I am in a plane that has no engine 3,000 feet in the sky and we're just floating down to the ground and I immediately kind of panicked and kind of pressed because you're very close to the edge of the plane I could stick my hand out a little window and I was it was in the air wow and and that was the moment where for me that's where the calm piece. So to me, when I say challenges, that's where the calm piece said, you know what, my brain just clicked into another gear and said, you made the decision to be here. There's a pilot, you know, it's going to be fine. Just use this as part of what you're experiencing and just go with it. And um, so that's kind of what I mean by when I say calm, but the fire, I think it's either, that's another thing that's either in you or it's not. If you're Mm -hmm. a driven person, um, you have to have that fire. If you're going to be a determined person 
to achieve things. Like I, I summited Mount Kilimanjaro. I was having dinner with a friend. We were talking about all the great things we could do in life. And she said, do you want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro? And I said, yeah. And six <laughs> months later, we were at the top <laughs> taking our photo, you know, by the sign. And it's just one of those things you have to, the fire make, pushes you forward, I guess, to follow your dreams or to create wow. your dreams, I should say. Gosh, people have to be careful when they have conversations around you. <laughs> oh my goodness, you're inspiring me. I feel like, geez, what else could I do? So <laughs> how do you celebrate the big and the small victories in life, both personally and professionally? I This, this is a, a little tough for me because um, I know that many people celebrate uh, victories through actions and I, I know that that's important to people and I try to tell myself it's important to me too so you know rewarding yourself resting um, a small token anything like that but I think for me personally because of who I am the two big things of how I celebrate uh, the big and little victories are one it's you know the celebration is knowing I did a good job and that it was for the right reason I just, it makes me feel good. So it's a celebration. And the second part is saying thank you to those who've been part of helping me achieve the victory or maybe being part of supporting me. You know, those two things for me would be how I, I would celebrate rather than just, you know, doing something like a token for myself. Wow. That totally resonated with me when, you know, thanking people gratitude. I mean, I was, I was raised, you know, by a very community oriented volunteer based family that was, you know, loves to give back. And so that concept that when someone does something for you in, in that moment of gratitude, like thank thankfulness is huge. Um, and the ability to pass on the messages. I mean, in our previous question, you gave advice there that I hope, because I know I'm going to hold on to it, and I'm sure other people will too. So like just on that day-to-day -day of having that effect on people. Um, and I'm just, I'm one of those people that at the end of the day, I like to sit and, and I write in a gratitude journal. And, you know, I, I make myself put down three points, even if it was a crappy day. But at the end of it, you know, there are times where I might have 10 things down on that list. And, and you're right, it's just appreciating the moments, the energy behind things. Would you say that you're, you're a real energy-based person? Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, energy is um, like a big driver for me, for certain. And I think the direction of the energy and what I mean by that, like when you were talking, it was making me think about a memory I had with, with Rupert, the, the father from Horse Boy. We were having lunch one, one day in Boulder, Colorado, and um, we were talking about fulfillment. And I asked him, you know, what he, what did he attribute fulfillment in life? And he said, Meg, it's all service. It's what you do for others and not expecting anything back. And that really resonated with me because it kind of also ties to leadership and what I was saying earlier about when the energy is focused inside you um, versus when the energy is focused on outside of you on what you can do to help you know things that you're never going to get anything back from that you know I'm not going to benefit if the equestrian industry grows in Canada it doesn't matter I just want to see it um, improve mm -hmm. and I want to see more people have access to horses because they they were my root and my foundation throughout my life when I struggled with mental health, when, you know, I have a stressful day at ECD, I can go to the barn, I open the door, the stress just evaporates. Um, so it's, 
I think that that energy piece, I think is really important when it's, it's directed towards helping others. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Great advice there. And uh, absolutely. Hopefully people can, that'll resonate with them and then they can work on that for themselves. So last question here, you were named one of horse sports top 50 influencers for 2020. How does that kind of recognition impact you on a day-to-day real world basis? And how do you follow up on something like that? I'm always appreciative of recognition. Um, being recognized in, in that horse sport top 50 influencers in 2020, it was really meaningful for me. Um, it is nice to know that others see the work and passion that I have for the industry and they, they share it and they recognize that it's, it's beneficial. Um, but I think for me, it's, it's not an ending that needs a follow-up. You know, I'm like, I'm sure you might already have, have concluded for me, I'm on a path in my life and I've had already a great deal of incredible and unique experiences. I'm 44. Um, I've had, um, so many things, uh, that I've been able to experience and learn from and people that I've met all over the world. And I, I just, I see life as a continuum and it's not, um, one success that then has another one that tops it but that um, it just continues to move forward. And because I'm, I'm so driven by the experience that life has and all of the ups and downs that you live, um, I know that everything that I do and experience in the future will be part of what makes me alive as a person. So I see many more things that I'll do in my life ahead and um, there will be great things and there will be um, failures. Um, but at the end of the day, um, that is really what, what drives me as opposed to kind of how I top one success with another. Yeah. I mean, I think there are some things in lives when, when our lives, when we can look at them and go, okay, check. I did that. That's, that's awesome. But then yeah. there's that other part of us where if you take a look outside, you step outside of yourself. And if you were to take a look at your life, you know, if you see this trajectory, you know, yes, you might have some, a couple of valleys where the growth always happens at that point, And then you head up onto the next one. And yeah, it's the evolution of, of who you are. I mean, I've turned 50, I'll be 51 this year. And it really makes you reflect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be yeah. honest. It does. I'm like, whoa, what have I done in my life? Who have I helped? What left can I do with what I've learned about me? Right. It, it's a constant, it's a constant conversation I have. And, and yeah, your, your journey just, I'm, I'm very excited to see what left you are going to do because <laughs> <laughs> did you have anything else on your bucket list? Any more mountains to climb or? Um, I, you know, I don't know because it's funny for me. I, I don't really have a list of things. Um, they, they come to me like, um, like a desire, I guess, just one day I'll, I, you know, I'll say, okay, I, I want to go to Columbia and then I'm booking a trip and I'm there. It's just one of those things that sometimes it's triggered by a conversation I have or um, something I see or read or experience. And then I feel inside the desire to, to do that as well. And sometimes it's just, um, it's not driven by something. It's just a curiosity about, about an area I was in a few years ago. I went to Istanbul in Turkey and um, I wanted to go because I was interested in the economy. Um, so I was building my business at the time and uh, I went and ended up not only starting, I went to a trade show. So it was an equestrian trade show. But then from there, I met one person that met another person and I traveled, I met veterinarians. I traveled to show jumping facilities, endurance facility. I mean, it was just unbelievable how people will open up their door if you ask. 
um, yes. and show you their world. So yeah. it's kind of, that's kind of how I, I make decisions about travel and adventure. Wow. Wow, Meg, I cannot thank you enough for this conversation. Taking some time to getting to know you has been an amazing start of my day. <laughs> very, <laughs> very inspiring. Yes. And thank you for sharing your, your stories and et cetera. How can people reach out to you if they have any questions about anything they've heard here or anything about EC? I would love to hear from people. Um, the best, uh, the easiest email is CEO at equestrian.ca. Okay. So that comes to me and I would, I would really love to hear from people, whether it's stories or any, if there's anything that resonates with them, or again, if they have any questions about EC, anything, anything like that. That is awesome. Well, thank you, Meg. Again, this has been, uh, this has been just wonderful. Thank you, Tracy. I really appreciate it. So there you have it. I have some great interviews lined up for future episodes and we'll be covering some pretty interesting topics, as always with the intent to open and engage the horse world on a wide variety of issues. So until next time, keep your eyes forward and continue to hit your stride. To stay current with Hitting Your Stride, subscribe on my website or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here today, make sure you share and leave a comment to help guide future episodes and widen the audience. And be sure to check out social media to keep up to date with Equestrian Elements Life Coaching.